This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com Rodgers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play! That is that! What a shot! and here to discuss we're going international because we got joe hello joe hello there richie it sounded like a bit like a harry mccurdy insta post caption that intro but i liked it i'm all for it (laughs) well i'll see you next saturday and we've also got to add that international flavor double it it's James. Hello, James. Oh, yeah, yeah. Coming to, coming from the black country as well, so completely different. Nice to be back on the pod. It's been a while. It has been a while. It's great to have you both on board. Shall we get it out of the way before we, we talk about Swindon Town? Wales C4, England C0. Um, a shame on my nation. But congratulations to Dion Donoghue, who played for Wales. And Matt Palmer got a cap. Luckily, Ben Tozer and... Paul Mullen did not feature for England. And I dare say, chaps, that's due to international relations. It can only be that. I could see, I saw Paul Mullen in the, um, on the Wrexham pages and he was making the overtures about about being Welsh and eligible and that it was a great honour, but not really feeling it for him at this time. Wants to concentrate on being promoted. I think he was definitely playing to his... Uh, his newfound audience in uh, Gogland. Well, you've got to. You've got to. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think about this, James. I am pretty sure 
Lewis Haldane, formerly of Froome, and this is why I bring you in, aren't I nice? Um, <laughs> he couldn't play for Wales C. No, he couldn't play for England C because he played for Wales under 21s. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, oh, that's an interesting how they because obviously the FIFA rules have kind of changed over the years, exactly. For yeah, that. so maybe it's seen more as an international than a because the youth internationals used to like you see that now with talking about Callum Hudson Adoy moving from because I think he played England under 21 and is now looking at maybe he's got full caps, he's got he's got a couple of full caps for England, but they're not, but it's like friendlies, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, Trowbridge, didn't he, Lewis? So yeah. I once served Lewis Haldane when I used to work at Blockbuster Express in Trowbridge. I used to serve him, and when he was a pro footballer, guys, he was still renting VHS, which I loved. Kind of hipster now, but not back then. <laughs> I'll come back like vinyl. <laughs> I think it already is. <laughs> Joe, it is, isn't it? VHS is purchased by people who don't like watching films with quality. Yeah, absolutely. You can get up to 20, 30 quid for some of these ex-rentals. It's big, big business. Don't tell me that. I used to have loads of the booming things. Right, let's move on. You you know it's a, it's a dull one uh, when we spend the first three minutes talking about Wales England C and memories of serving Lewis Haldane at Blockbuster <laughs> in Trowbridge. But we have a game to talk about. So, oh, and there was one thing from from the end of last week. Congratulations to George Calmeadow. Feed him because he will get a senior contract. Congratulations to a fellow Welshman. Absolutely. Chlongifardiardai, um, as they would say, I think, yeah, in Wales. I bet you think I've Google translated all these on the hop or from the brain. Um, yes, great to see George Calmeadow get his contract. You know, we've, we've seen that utility. That's one of the really nice things of this season of... You know that that kind of symbiotic relationship we've been having with Chippenham in terms of developing the young pros, the under 18s You know it's benefited Minton, Parsons, Darbray, uh, and you know there was a point at the beginning of the season not just because of having a catchy name, um, you know getting some appearances in those preseason friendlies and getting his uh, his appearance of course in the old Papa John's, my favourite competition. Um, there was there's the expectation of he was the name and then he'd sort of gone a bit quiet, especially in those sort of high low, high worth Chippenham loan world. Um, so great news to see that he's got his pro deal and uh, look forward to seeing his development next season. So congratulations, George, and I hope that uh, Uncle Paul Bowden comes to the county ground sometime soon and has a look. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I completely agree. I think... I expected to see more of him this season, but I think he's been injured, hasn't he? And and Minton sort of grasped the opportunity where he got his, and and despite everything, George still drifts into the senior team every now and again, even if it's on the bench. Brilliant, brilliant to see, and you know I fully expect a couple more to join them. Yes, <laughs> James, you were there. You were at Scotland this weekend, and luckily, birthday boy. Joe was treating himself to a nice little weekend at Dan Hunt's holiday mansion. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Pembloid Hapis uh, to me. Um, yeah, very kind of Dan to throw open his, uh, uh, his chalet um, to me, um, just in the outskirts of his nice chateau. Uh, but yes, I had the choice. I was thinking I toyed with maybe seeing a top of the, um, the uh, National League North clash with, 
Brackley and Gateshead, and uh, Brackley actually beat Gateshead and went one up. But rather than watch live football in the flesh, why not? Why not uh, head over, head over to France and um, watch the old I follow and watch Rochdale Swindon. Absolutely, and there were a few changes for this game. Four, in fact. So. Out of the team went Akinoda Mayo, Jacob Ryan, who was poorly sick, Ryan East, and also injured was Harry McCurdy income, Matthew Baudry, Louis Barry, Joe Thompson, and Ricky Agua. So, James, I always feel that it's incredibly harsh whenever I see Akinoda Mayo dropped. I don't think he does a lot wrong. Yeah, I think it did surprise me quite a lot because um, I think his relationship with Dion is a kind of defensive partnership works really well as well. So he's probably someone who I would have kept in, but I think because you've got Ellis playing in that kind of CDM Louis Reed role, maybe, which is something he's not used to, so maybe he might want to focus more on the defensive side of the game. Maybe he wanted Baldry in the centre back position because he is someone who can play out, well, supposedly can play out from the back a bit more. So, whereas Atkins a bit more of a tidy defender, kind of give it off to to Dion for him to kind of spray the ball forward. But yeah, I can I can understand the decision. It's probably not the decision I would have made, but I kind of see why Garner made it. I think I'm the same as you, Rich. My heart kind of sinks whenever I see AK on the bench. I was always I'm always thinking to myself, there must be there must be a reason for that. I can only think that because he has sort of deputised on that left side and. We saw that work really well in the um, in the Oldham game, didn't we? You know, he was starting to come further out as well. And um, to borrow a phrase from uh, uh, from another pod, he Oldham is sometimes a bit like uh, a bit like the onion in the curry, as they would say. You know, he does things that are you know not always noticed or appreciated, but without them, you know, he's an essential ingredient. But as James said, he's quite he's quite used to being, you know, tidying up and giving it away. Yet in those last couple of appearances, he seemed to actually be going against against what might be his better instinct and actually getting forward and looking quite good from it and you know growing in confidence from doing it. I can only wonder that you know if Garner was thinking of sticking him out on that left side again and was weighing up him or Tomlinson. And uh, perhaps he fell short, um, but yeah, uh, it makes me think there must have been something in it because my instinct would have been to have, if that was the case, to have uh, Odomeo next to Conroy uh, in the middle instead of Bowdry. Something I did think about: Do you think because Hunty's a bit more of a defensive right back? Do you think he maybe wanted Bowdry on the right side because he is that a bit more adventurous centre back rather than the kind of defensive def- centre-back in Odomeo, maybe it's that kind of trade-off, maybe, I don't know. Possibly, that might make sense, because he, he is almost, they're almost sometimes I've seen this season, they're like, a, instinctively, almost at mirror opposites that, you know, Hunt feels, you know, he has that confidence to, to get forward and get up the pitch, whereas Odomeo is a bit cautious to hold back. Um, and Tomlinson the same on the other side, that maybe he'd just sort of want to yeah, keep a pivot in the middle. Yeah, and I think that does kind of... I mean, he's talked about it a lot before Garner is in. He sees kind of parts of the pitch, like defence, midfield and forwards as a kind of 
a composite rather than looking at individual positions. It's kind of what has he got in those parts of the pitch? If you have, maybe he doesn't think you can have two kind of on the right side, two kind of defensive players. You need kind of one and the other to kind of overlap. I don't know. Maybe that's a slightly scattered thought, but just kind of something that I've kind of seen over the season. Well, completing the lineup was Jojo Wallacott, fresh from his exploits, as they say, uh, with Garner, Rob Hunt, Dion Conroy. Jack Payne, LSI Anderlo, the 44th best player in the EFL, Johnny Williams, Josh Davison completing the, those already mentioned. So every game is a must-win game, you know. But in order to not rely on results elsewhere, we've got to concentrate on our own thing and, and win games. And obviously this didn't happen this week and results firmly went against us elsewhere. but. It was an encouraging start, wasn't it, James? Yeah, it was. I was really surprised how well we played, kind of from the start. Certainly, considering, you know, people coming back from international duty and people coming back from injuries and stuff, we played with just quite high intensity. Actually, um, I don't think Rochdale really had the ball at all in the first ten minutes, and we started to kind of press well and looked relatively dangerous. Um, but it was a very kind of to kind of use a Silly phrase. It was a very kind of swindony first ten minutes of keeping the ball and kind of figuring out what kind of Rochdale's game plan is, or kind of seeing how we can kind of work through that, which just seems to be kind of Garner's kind of mo is kind of using the first half to kind of build the kind of the forward camp to kind of push on in the in the second half, really. Um, but we look relatively solid, but. We just were. It was quite. Some of the defensive passing was a bit passive, but it it was it was kind of a building phase, which kind of got somewhat better. But we were definitely on top for the first you know twenty twenty five minutes. So before we go into the sort of detail of Swither's chances, I wanted Rochdale to be pretty much on the beach, but. They were. They are such an annoying side because they're down there because they draw too many. A, a few people have suggested that had they had a bit more endeavour up front, they might have even got more than a draw in this one. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I think we we learnt from when you know when they pegged us back earlier in the season at the county ground that you know there's no slouches. Um, you know, there's 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 talent, especially going forward um, in that team. Again, for the second time this season, I'm watching Rochdale. I'm sort of wondering, I think it speaks a testament as to how the, you know, how good the upper half of the table have been this year, that a team like that are struggling because to take it, take the game into isolation to see how they play. It's, it must be kind of frustrating. I know that Rochdale have had, you know, off the field problems and, you know, wrangles of, ownership and bidders and such like. Uh, of course, well the Andy Curry derby. Yes, the undercurrent derby. derby. So I know that they've had that off-the-field uh, wranglings and that can only sort of disrupt things as they go. Um, Liam Kelly is very familiar to us because you know he was on trial and almost certain to, uh, to sign everybody thought at one point and then seemingly didn't. Um, yeah, like looking, looking threatening throughout, and yeah, I was surprised to see them down there. I 
must say that as, even in that those early stages, uh, Mr. Lynch at number one, he he got a workout. Yeah, he was good. He deserved that man in the match. He was really good yesterday. I thought probably their best player. Yeah, the, the first of the three big Davison misses is probably best one for Lynch, obviously, because he doesn't get to any of the others. But the more forgiving of Davison I am on that one. But as you were saying in the ground. And let's talk about the three misses because they're huge, really, aren't they, for, for the game? So in the first half, it's a rebound, um, and Lynch does well just to just to make himself look big in a very small uh, <laughs> part of the uh, pitch. And then the second two in the second half, well, I mean, from the clips on I follow, the first one is unforgivable, and the second one is. You know, to, to go a bit English on this, it's a bit Gascoin in in Euro '96. Just stick your leg out and it's in, um, or just you know grow a couple more inches and it's in. Can we blame Davison for this? First one, I think it'd be harsh because I think I don't know. Again, for, in the ground, that seemed very close. That was a would have been a very very tough angle to get past. Lynch is a quite big keeper, so first one probably a bit harsh, but. Yeah, maybe should have put that away, but I think give him the benefit of doubt with that one. Um, second one is worse every time you look at it. In the ground, it looked pretty bad, but it kind of like it was a bit too high and it just hit him on the knee. But then you look at it on eye follow and he really, really should have put that one away. Um, third one's frustrating, because like you said, it's just kind of try and put anything on it. Um so, yeah, he should have scored yesterday, and it, maybe it's just the confidence thing. I, I don't know. It's just, but he did a lot of other good stuff as well. Like it's quite easy, certainly for a striker, to get those isolated incidents of you know missing chances, which is obviously his main kind of job. But he did a lot of good work off the ball yesterday as well. So I don't know. Like, yeah, he didn't have his best day at the office. But. They had it. They had it. If you could take, if you could take the recording of this game and just drop it into, you know, someone sight unseen who doesn't watch, uh, you know, any League Two football and ask them to predict where it's from, I, I can't really explain. But it felt like the game had that sort of early season, pre-season vibes. I don't know if it's just because you know we've had, um, you know, some time off due to our international breaks and things like that, so we haven't played since the Crawley game and that does feel like a long time ago plus with the four changes that makes you know that re-familiarization a thing James you'll be more accurate on sort of placing how this went together but it almost looked like from I follow I mean the layout of the pitch it looked quite worn but it also looked a bit I don't know, almost like clay-like like quite dry there's lots of lots of balls sort of bouncing and you know, shots being scuffed and it didn't really look, you know, an optimum condition. It looked like the sort of condition you'd find a pitch in August rather than, you know, it either snowing or sunny uh, April opening weekend. It did have that sort of, yeah, that sort of vibe of just sort of, you know, getting reacquainted with one another, getting used to how each other plays. And, you know, Davidson's, misses particularly ones in the second half that one that sort of hits him comes in on the upper thigh but the third from that I think there's like a what you might generously call a cross come shot from pain that probably maybe is just going a bit too fast for him to react to 
I mean, when you see that replay, you bring up the Gaza one where he's, you know, you can see he's stretching and agonizing. Um, that just seems to catch him by surprise. Do you think even just one sort of lurch forward would have tucked it in? But alas, not to be. Yeah, pitch wise, it was a slightly weird one because in the ground didn't actually look too bad. But then you're not looking, <laughs> it may be the different angle. But I think because a rugby league side plays there as well and their season is slightly weird, isn't it? It's more February to July, right, or something like that. So maybe it's that kind of, it's being cut up a bit and there's that kind of dual rugby football kind of pitch, I guess. Joe, on your point about the end of season, pre-season feeling, I think that's really interesting, really, because... It shouldn't be, should it? <laughs> it really shouldn't have that feel of it being a dead rubber, which is essentially what that feeling is. Why is that? Because it's uh, the whole the whole game sort of withered, didn't it? it? Just it had promise, and then it just faded away with no pressure against us. You know, it doesn't look like oh, if anything, we're going to lose this, and it also didn't have that feel of a team that really needs to win games in order to maintain its automatic push or automatic place or the playoffs. So why is that? I can't help but think that, uh, yes, partly you've got the international break and you've got, of course, you know, the injuries mounting up. You've got people coming back in, which is great, um, to sort of rechanging how we set up things. But James will be able to attest to this more. And I'm just recalling what, you know, Connor said in the, uh, infamous pod WhatsApp that there was a, a Aggie feeling to it, and if we're casting our minds back pre-Christmas to you know those many many board draws or non-events at home, when you know town could do the business on the road, but at home was just playing in front of uh, nine thousand pairs of expectant eyes who just sat there glumly. It seemed like there was a bit of a vibe, and the same from social media, like looking back afterwards, yeah, almost like a, a resignation. I don't know if that's because, uh, you know, off the field things and political rumblings and that kind of things that just put people, you know, in, in a bad mood, in that pessimistic way of like, oh, you know, I told you so. I knew they, they'd throw it away at this point. I knew that it would be all gone i know it's knew it all went away like weeks ago it's not going to happen that's that's really sort of bit in and i do think it sounds silly i know that the way following is is quite different it's quite special i do think this team sort of feed a bit off you know when they're getting either that that negativity or that sort of those sort of like death stares could that be something into it james you were there you'll have a better insight into that than me yeah, I mean, I think certainly football, certainly nowadays, at the time of like football tradition and all that kind of stuff, people like, and I think this permeates in, in football grounds as well. I think I've noticed it at Swindon quite a lot. This is the same with every football club. People need to have a reaction that always has to be the kind of amazing or terrible. Like yesterday, the performance was. Like a six out, like realistically a six out of ten, really. Like it wasn't, it was met, like it was fine. It was annoying in the context of the season. Like it was frustrating, it was a really, really frustrating result because we needed those three points. But 
and obviously the intensity from the players didn't seem like it was there certainly going forward but then there's loads of different issues that could have been that could have permeated from so but like people were acting as if it was like a like three out of ten performance when it just wasn't really um but then maybe that was just my react to people but I think people were expecting us to kind of come come up to Rochdale and kind of certainly the people around Colin and I anyway to just kind of steamroll of them really which we didn't do in Yonkers you know at the is end that of... unfair is that an unfair expectancy given where we are and what we want to achieve I don't think it's unfair expect I don't know if this is you know this is it just coming up off the back of last week or maybe it's you know watching too much of uh the shaman on top of the pops but it felt like <laughs> it felt like last week you know there's so many you know sort of great euphoric moments of seeing you know seeing Jojo qualify for the World Cup and you know, getting to introduce himself as a Swindon player to the president. Even things like seeing Johnny Williams get a, get another cap. This is exciting stuff. And then when the presser came along and you get all this good news about injuries, about people who would be expected to appear tomorrow, about McCurdy's injury not being as bad. It felt like, you know, as Mr. C would tell us, that when the time the game came around, that was a bit more like the come down and the closer the kickoff came, you know, people were starting to starting to feel angsty, nervous. I don't think it is an unreasonable expectation, but we know from earlier in the year that Rochdale weren't there to just roll over, um, and they weren't just there for the taking. And we've missed we've missed playing time where other games have had other teams have had a Saturday and a Tuesday. So it was always going to be difficult to get back into the shape of things. I don't think that means people should shift their expectations. I feel like uh you know, full disclosure, I feel a bit like I've made I've made peace, you know, in my heart and in my head of what happens this year. But that doesn't mean that, you know, at the end of it you just say, oh well you got your club back. Um but it doesn't mean people who do have that sort of disposition just expect whatever happens happens. We're all still, you know, pushing for you know, being up there and we have as good a chance as anybody else. We just need to keep that positivity going and just not, you know, not let the the doom-laden feelings come to us. It'd be very, I was thinking that we saw the, what's his name? The, uh, the coach who was saying about Jojo must vacate immediately after he, but the fact that he plays in the fourth tier. <laughs> Factors. It's a fact. And me, with all my level, I will never, I still maintain that he has to vacate and leave that fourth year or else he cannot be the Black Stars number one. That will not, I will never change my stand on that. He would make a good Swindon fan because a lot of Ghana fans and Ghana media are a bit like that where it's like either glory or disaster aren't they you know it's sensationalism and when things are bad you know they're absolutely awful and then the next week something else happens and it's it's sublime and, and we can take got, like a leaf from that yeah and then you've got to use the other international kind of the Welsh side of things then you've got people treating kind of Dion Conroy like he's a parasite like Gareth Bale so <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, hang on. What we what we go? <laughs> what, what are we talking here then? So, is the Dion Conroy narrative still still very much oh, in the stands? 
it may have just been one guy, but he was very loud. So there's one guy. Okay, so there was there it's, was a it's few. Still pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We, I, I get everything that both of you have just said there, and but on on a serious note, James, like you know, I get everything that's been said. Did, did Ben Garner do anything to try and force the issue in that second half? Because I think I saw a XG stat that nothing happened in the last fifteen minutes or so, and that that isn't acceptable, is it? Given everything, it can't. We can't blame the pitch, can we? We can't blame Harry McCurdy not being there for at least not giving it a go. Yeah, this is kind of what I was thinking about quite actually quite a lot on the on the metro slash bus home. So Wolverhampton was about kind of as much as that performance was kind of meh. I didn't kind of want to do the whole thing, kind of of kind of trying to gloss it over because Garner should have done more to change that, but then. That comes to a slightly deeper issue of our squad depth this season, isn't you know? Yeah. It just isn't deep enough when, we, when you've got people, players like Louis Reed out and like Harry McCurdy, like your two be- your t- your two best players this season. You know, you, you're always going to suffer from that. Like en- like any team in this league will suffer from losing their two best players. So, but yeah, I, may- maybe I could have made a couple of you know more attacking changes, but. Egbo came on for the last, I know, thirty minutes and played quite well. Um, I thought he actually played quite very well, but just looked a bit rusty from players not playing a hell of a lot of, you know, first team football over the last couple of years. So, but it looks like kind of a rough time to someone we should definitely look to hold on to beyond the season. So, uh, the one that annoyed me probably in terms of substitutions the most is probably Harry Parsons coming on at ninetieth minute. That seemed a very kind of pointless move you wanted to kind of change the game or it seemed like a very time wasty move but if you want to change the game you should have brought him on or at least you know 10 minutes ago rather than you know potentially five minutes of injury time or however many it was seemed a bit counterintuitive yeah agreed yeah i'm i'm, I'm we'll, we'll get to the listener feedback in a moment I don't want to be in that place. I'm still, you know, <laughs> because we've dropped points, it just makes the notion of the Newport game, you know, more exciting for me, you know, because we're either going to get the joy of a win or the angst of a loss. And I find it all very exciting. You know, <laughs> I just enjoy chaos, whether it's good, middling or bad. And that, that sets it up nicely before I go away for a few weeks. So selfishly, I, I quite like that. It wouldn't have mattered because even if we won this weekend, that, that I think that narrative remains against Newport because of where they are and their form isn't red hot either. But more of that in another pod. I just, I just, I don't feel that we're done yet, but I also feel that we're not doing our utmost to try and, you know, get over the line it feels like you know i think a few well you know that's that's let's listen to the listeners contributions now you think let's just get a scrappy goal get changed and get up the road yeah it's the same scotland listeners contributions now thank you to everyone who sent stuff in starting with wardy s who says it's all about taking chances which we didn't do in the first half Barry looked bright, but Davison was wasteful with the chances he had. Playoffs aren't out of the question, but will be hard to make now. Man of the match, Louis Barry. Pete Marsh says, 
Baudry man of the match should have been game over in the 46th minute. Williams looked better on the left when Barry went off. Really missed the magical unpredictability of Harry McCurdy and the precision of Louis Reed. Good that Rochdale didn't have a decent striker. Joe says Garner needs to adapt his style when we need to score. He hasn't learned that all season and it's the reason why we won't make the playoffs. Batch says, man of the match, Williams or Baudry, to be fair, it feels like it's slipping away. Played okay, but with a lack of quality and goal threat in the final third. The next three games are now crucial. Seven points and we'll be back in it. But if McCurdy is out for another three weeks, then where are those goals coming from? Bernie Mann says, frustrating performance, created enough chances to get the three points, but didn't really look like taking them. We missed Reed to unlock and McCurdy to take the chances, and I fear that this could be the story of our season. Still in with a sniff, Baudry man of the match, Tomlinson a close second. Rich Parker says, good first 30 minutes, but then stopped playing. Davison missed a sitter at the start of the second half, which was costly. Not enough urgency when required. Very frustrating. Man of the match too difficult. Too many five or six out of tens and no standout. Stephen PC says seemed off the pace and really lacked a finisher. Maybe the two week break was the reason for that. A point more but needed more. Ellis Iandolo for man of the match. Excellent again. Need Reed and McCurdy back. Spare a moment for Sarah in New Zealand, who says, My hot take, the clocks went back here, so my alarm for 3.35am was the end of the match, not the beginning. Not pleased, lesson learned. Dean Morgan says, All I can say, it's a shame that Ipswich screwed us and Simpson over. I reckon we'd be in the playoffs with him. While Timmy says, Last time we drew nil-nil at Rochdale, we ended up getting promoted, so it's all fine. Robert Hammond says we missed Reed moving the ball around quickly and Harry McCurdy's unpredictability. Man of the match, way too difficult as all six out of tens. But the defence kept a clean sheet, so Rob Hunt gets it. Rob Lockyer says season over, I'm afraid, with results going against us. Not enough threat up top. Hopefully we can go again next season. Davison works hard, but when we are relying on him for goals, we are always going to struggle. Craig Clark says, started well, but didn't capitalise. Mediocre at best from then on. Subs made little impact too. Disappointing. Man of the match, Dion Conroy. Assured. Nick says, just think we need to go for it now, even if it means we lose games. No regrets. STFC Sean says, season isn't over yet and playoffs are still on the table. Still think we have had a good season on and off the pitch and still looking forward to see what happens with this running. Darren Jackson says, we had the chances, but just not good enough in front of goal. You expect your number nine to tuck those chances away. Very disappointing. And Basemaster Rich says, seem to be slipping back into the passing without any purpose category lately. Didn't create enough today, but for once we stood firm defensively. McCurdy is a huge miss. If he's not back in the next few games, our season is done. S. Parker says it ain't over till it's over. Yes, we were toothless today, but we are still two points off seventh and four off second. With a game in hand, it's still all to play for. There's no need to panic. Paul Merriman says no idea how we didn't win that 2-0 and I'm not sure I want to criticise any of the players for the performance 
Everyone played well and didn't put a foot wrong. I know we are running out of games, but it's not over yet. Reed and McCurdy are coming back, and that could clinch it. Muttley says, simple, we need Harry McCurdy. Goes against everything I believe in, and that's being a one-man team. But we've got absolutely no firepower up front. Can anyone see Davison getting 10 or 15 goals before the end of the season? Dean McMackin says, had chances and should have won, really. I hope I'm wrong, but I think our final 11 on the pitch there probably reflects our league position. We can't keep getting away with all the recalls, injuries and suspensions. J-Box says, we really miss Tyree Simpson. Davison is good, we've seen that, but Simpson used to drop deep to demand the ball if we hadn't seen it for a while. Davison will stay and expect it to drop to him. Matty Crockett says, slow, sloppy, wasteful and in all honesty never really looked like scoring. Williams and Payne didn't really get into the game, especially in the second half. Egbo looked good when he came on and at least injected some much-needed pace into the team. Daz Smith says, still think we will make the playoffs with 77 points. Man of the match, hmm, Hunt or Frenchie? Matt Hale says, shit. Boo Boo says, Egbo, man of the match for me. Payne, not interested. Hmm. Daniel Thomas says, another chance missed against a team we should be beating. Phil, like the constant changing of the team through recalls and injuries, has left us a bit weak and we don't finish off teams often enough. And finally, Mr. Jason, who says we lack any sort of threat minus McCurdy. We are slow to get forward and rarely have the players in the box for any attempts at a cross, even when we're desperate for a goal. Tenth seems about right for the season. And it's looking like a mighty tall ask to get into the playoffs now. Thank you, everyone. Man of the match, by a whisker, goes to Matthew Baudry. So we'll talk about the man of the match in just a moment. But I just wanted to bring that in now because we're going into various subjects that were raised. And this feeling, James, that the season is slipping away. And that's because we lost against Crawley and we've dropped two points against Rochdale, two Teams that when we see the fixture list, we're like, okay, well, they're struggling. We'll be all right against these two. We've got one point out of those. So I get why people are saying it's slipping away. But as you've already indicated, and as everybody in the contributions said, once Reed and McCurdy's back, even if it's just Reed, things might happen. Yeah, and I think like automatics are probably done. I would probably agree with that, but playoffs are definitely still on. Like, I think it's you know, it is quite. I mean, it's it's in our nature as Swindon fans to be pessimistic, so it's kind of. But I don't know, we're selling we're selling the mix, and I don't want to use the whole club. We've got a club back kind of notion, but because we do, you do have to look at the context of where the club's been in the last, you know. 12 months, the fact that we're kind of here and in a, it's still very much in our own hands to go up in terms of going for the playoffs and stuff. So I think, you know, we have to, sometimes we have to review our season for what we want to talk about, and that's football. And Ben Chorley and Ben Garner, whoever did the Lord's work in the summer, they got a good squad together. They've done okay, you know, we've had good runs, we've we've lost frustrating games, but we've been up there all season long. So to be Devon Locke in this playoff push and fall at the last hurdle, regardless to what happened last summer, is still going to be 
incredibly frustrating for a lot of people. Yeah, I think a lot of it, certainly in terms of certainly Chorley's role and Garnet, like a lot of it was out of the hands. Like, people forget how bad January was for us. I mean, and a lot of that wasn't our fault in terms of like, you know, the whole Tyree situation, Tyree Simpson situation, which looks ongoing with his contract contract issues at it's which I wish him all the best. And then obviously um Kane Kassahida going to MK and then, you know, Romney Kretschler going like th- those were three pretty key players to our team and then you take pretty much the spine when you think about a centre back, a right back, well wing back and a scoring a centre forward who was a big part of the certainly the system that we played in the kind of first chunk of that season. So, and then the replacements we got in kind of did very well. And then you've got Brandon Cooper who's out for the season now. And then you've got Barry who was kind of starting to get formed, then got injured. Same with Tomlinson as well who then got injured. So, yeah. It is it's it's a hard one to kind of pin down because it is frustrating. Like yes, they were very very frustrating, and that does fall at Gardner's door in terms of he should maybe try to change more, whether that's personnel wise or kind of tactically. But it's not a result that's kind of the end of the world. So we just have to kind of move on. Really, um, it's just. It wasn't that that performance wasn't worse than there. The result was awful because of the context of the season, and but yeah, it's quite easy to bury your head in the sand and kind of get massively annoyed about and indignant about this result. But we we just got to move on now and hope that we're ready for the next game and, and stuff. Really, this has been the uh, if going back into the you know the annals of time. If I'm remembering back the uh, the wise historic season when we were languishing in League Two then and hoping, you know, hoping to get that last automatic spot, but in not falling easily, that's we're not as comfortable when we had things like the Decanio season or the PPG season when we've you know we've won titles, gone through a, those League Two seasons of thinking, well one of those top three, because you get three automatics in League Two, will be ours. It's just a question of whether we get the title or not. But I remember that that wise luggy season of feeling like uh, unsure. Ooh, yes, it could go either it way. Could go yeah. either way. Yeah. And I don't think that's an easy feeling that we that we have. Even when we have got the narrative of thinking like, oh, you know, we're lucky to be here or happy to be here. It doesn't feel like that. It's worth remembering though as well that we do have another game and an extra three points to get that a lot of the teams around us don't have. Yeah. Isn't it crazy that if we talk about that wise historic season on this very weekend, we played Rochdale away and drew nil nil. (laughs) We were third as a result of that, but we were still very much fighting it out with Milton Keynes Dons all the way to the end of the season. Joe, I'll stick, I'll stick with you for a question I've got. And it's based on an observation, something that I'm reading a lot of Swindon fans say, and we've not really discussed it or entertained it. I don't know what the fellow podcaster's views on it is. I'm not sure. I don't know if I'm being a bit short-termist on this, but there's this, or the observation is, Swindon aren't ready to go up, because if we did go up, we would struggle despite what we saw Ben Chorley do last season with the budget that we've got. 
I'm not quite sure I'm I'm on board with that. I think if you've got the opportunity to go up, you go up and you you roll the dice. What do you think? I don't think it's a question of not being ready. If we look at the players that we've got, and again, you know, when I talk about when I've been making peace, uh, it's interesting to see, you know, some media outlets get a little, a little ahead and giddy going back to Jojo and saying he'll be the first Swindon player to play at a World Cup since, well, hang on, the World Cup will be in November. And, you know, Jojo, Reed, Payne, Williams. Eight. <laughs> and these are all hey, people that we necessarily be expected to be here if we don't do it. Not necessarily. I know there's tons of off the field stuff going on, and I know that's very positive. There's lots of things that you know people want to get going. Look at the season ticket sales and things like that. They've had to go, you know, around a different way to get payment for that. And I'm sure there's lots of things that operationally uh, they would prefer to be. Um, nailed down, but I don't think that should be dependent on whether we're in uh, League One or League Two. Um, especially as so many of us feel like last year we sort of robbed, robbed of the chance of of staying up. That being said, though, last year's dismal view did make me think that I don't necessarily want us just to go up. I want us to stay and sustain League One promotion. I don't want to be doing this like yo-yoing all the way through, but if we're looking at this squad and we think we want to build and expand on it and we want to keep a lot of key players, then going up will be essential. That being said, you know, would you like your April to consist of, say, Tranmere, Salford, Port Vale, Forest Green? Because, yeah, that's what Rovers are up against. So let's feel positive that we don't have a run like that. Oh, they're doing just fine. They've got the momentum. I, I don't think we can rely on, on Rovers doing us any favours, unfortunately. But James, what do you think? I mean, I, I'm a bit worried that we haven't really talked about the game that much, but from all reviews that I, I've read, it, the second half after the Davison misses were, were quite non-eventy. But isn't isn't wanting to stay in League Two and under the assumption that we'll build a great squad again or great squad with potential, just as risky as going up to League One and trying to build a team? I mean, it's not a line of thought that makes really much sense to me. Like, you're ready to go up when you go up. That's kind of the nature of sport. If you go up, you've got to prepare accordingly, right? Yeah. But it's. I mean, these comments are coming from people that you know. When I read them, you know, they're people that I generally agree with, and I think it's an interesting point. But yeah, yeah, you know, teams that have gone. Do you know what? Next season, that's our year. I mean, Port Vale strike me as a team like that. You know, next year will be our year, and they start well, and then they just wither. Bradford, bloody city. It's just, that is Bradford all over, isn't it? But I don't know. I just think League One isn't as strong as what people are saying it is. There's still very League Two standard teams in the bottom half of, of League One. Yeah, I mean, the fact that we, I mean, if we, we nearly stayed up last year, we're probably one of the worst squads that we've had in a very long time with the worst manager in our history. Kind of says a lot about kind of where League One's at. So, um, and also if you're in League One, you attract a higher calibre of player. So it'd be easier for us to kind of, one, be able to keep the best that we have here, be we, I, I reckon if we go up to League One, we keep Jack Payne. We definitely have a higher chance of keeping Louis Reed. So, um, and then you build from there. I think the problem is we stay in this division and with our kind of the way that the contracts have been worked this season, 
I mean, it'll be the same issue if we got to League One, but players are going to want more likely to want to send a League One team than a League Two side. That we're going to have to do the rebuild either way. So I feel safer with us having to rebuild in League One than having to kind of maybe not even having to rebuild in League One than trying to rebuild in League Two again. Let's try and get back to a more positive sort of conversation, really, Joe. In terms of what we do have in this threadbare squad of ours. What were the positives from the Rochdale game? It's positive to see uh, Louis Barry back. I know that some people were upset that he gave some high fives out to the fans, but I'm I'm all for that. You know, if you can come away from travelling all the way up to Rochdale, more credit to you as fans. And if you enjoy giving Louis Barry a high five at half time or at full time even. No problem with that. Great to have him back. What, Tomlinson what was, is. What was Louis Barry supposed to do? Not high five them because he's so disappointed with the nil nil draw. Yes, presumably. Okay. So. <laughs> give them a give them a few quid for a can of coke on the coach back. I don't know what the expectation was, but. <laughs> and Tomlinson. Uh, yeah, and having Tomlinson, he's tremendous going forward. But also, you know, that sort of for a for a loney, I know he's. I know he's. he's pure wilt through and through, but just that sort of passion and enthusiasm that he has, the fact that he's, you know, been to games and got, you know, got into the town end to watch, a, you know, a couple when he's been out. Um, there's great level of support. There's good, there's good buoyancy. What I didn't see a lot of yesterday, while it did get frustrating, is that there wasn't that same sort of, sort of, um, you know, nipping and back biking as much as we've seen in, uh, you know, the previous games, you know, getting on at each other, that sort of blame culture. Uh, I think you have to be positive that, you know, it's the start that people are coming back into it. And Newport, have the home crowd um, with us. They'll bring a good following. Um, I'm sure that Gwent Police and Wiltshire Police will go way OTT and bring about 400 strong and loads of vans that won't be needed either. Um so we've got to feel fired up. We'll have a whole week's worth of actually being on the training ground and actually everybody being together again. So it's got to count for something, right? Ricky Aguilar, he really impressed me. Yes, Again, I've not been to a hell of a lot of town games this season, but he looks like a rough diamond, but he looks like getting a proper pre-season and getting more kind of first-team experience, he could be quite the player, I think. He's got the attributes are there, but he's maybe not clever enough but you can't really blame a player who's just you know who's one who's like what 19, 18, 19 he's just come up from the Ismian League he looks he looks quite the player I think he's our next kind of diamond in the rough I think again the observation this is this was the first weekend really that multiple people were sending messages to the Those Strangers account on Twitter saying we miss Tyree Simpson Joe how much do we miss Tyree Simpson and how much is it really also the fact that Harry McCurdy seems to be our only person that really wants to put the ball away? I think that is unfortunate in a way. Obviously, we missed Tyree Simpson loads. Um, and who knows what would have been on if he'd been able to keep that momentum um, going. It's been, I was going to say, interesting. We're all sort of curious to see the you know discourse coming out um, Ipswich End where you know lots of people are being outspoken while in the same breath saying it's not their place to say what a young person should do, which seems a bit uh, like a contradiction in terms. I don't think yesterday is a particularly 
you know, shining example of what Davison could do. Look at like the the cool finish that he managed uh, against Sutton, for example. Um, if he has that surface, um, service and surface, I should say, because you know we did give some uh, some acclaim to the state of the pitch. I think Terry also commented on that as well. When we're at the the county ground and people can actually you know, find each other better and those, you know, those final passes you're not coming a little short or being a bit scuffed. I think we need to be giving Davis a little bit more credit for how he's performed in Tory Simpson's absence. Uh and yes, he is a big miss, but I don't think especially in as a part of that that three, that attacking three, when we were gifted to have, you know, Barry McCurdy, Davis in the middle, that was working quite well. And if Williams has to deputise um, in McCurdy's absence, then I think working on that a little more closely with the three of them, up until we can get McCurdy back, um, might prove more fruitful. It did feel very makeshift yesterday. I, I don't really see... Johnny being that kind of right winger, I don't think it really suits his play that much. And then obviously you've got Ellis playing the kind of CDM kind of role, which I don't. Which I think he played. Actually, I think he played very well in that. That I think that'd be very unfair to say. But I don't. I don't think it's his strongest kind of position on the pitch. But uh, again, I think Joe's right in saying I think we just need need time on the pitch this week to see what happens going into to the game against Newport next week. Yeah. Okay. Well, man of the match, as mentioned earlier, uh, the listeners gave it to uh, Matthew Baudry. Matthew Baudry. Um, fair play to him, despite everything. I think Akin should be in the squad, but you know he, he he made a good account of himself. Rob Hunt came second in that vote, and there was a sprinkling of several other players. Who gets ours then? I've been thinking about this a lot. My initial reaction was Johnny Astor. I think it may be Dion. I think. He- a lot of the good stuff that we did yesterday, in terms of certainly in terms of the balls he played out to kind of Barry, which were he wasn't able to capitalise on. I think he was a lot of part of a lot of the good play we did. But then also Jack Payne would deserve an honorary mention, but I think I'm gonna gonna give it to Dion. Now, is that you being edgy because people are getting on their back? That's a very Terry Pierce thing <laughs> to do. No, I, I, it's a hard one to. It's a hard game to pick a man of the match from because everyone was kind of generally a six out of ten. You yeah. kind of pick anyone and make a pretty good case to be man of the match. So, okay, yeah, well, that, let's that's see what, that's Delilah going to take with that. Let's let's see what Joe says. Joe, what you got for me? You know, there was there was a good little uh, snippet of stats. I know it's fashionable to uh, to bash Dion, and fashionable to bash Baudry as well, just because I don't know they're. They're easy targets, but they both came out with a clean sheet, and I think that Dion had to like a a pass completion rate, something like in the nineties. So not a bad uh, not a bad day at the office for him as well. Um, I would agree that Hunt seemed uh, seemed very spirited. Uh, he would, might just sort of shade um, my vote. I'd probably go for Rob Hunt, and because he was second in the listeners' vote, he gets. The uh, the vote there. Sorry, James. No, that I I, I defer I defer I defer to the democracy of of Alaspod. Cool. Okay, so Baldry gets it for the fans. Hunt gets it from the pod. Oh, we've got to wait now until next weekend for Newport. But until then, I think that'll do nicely. 
Joe, thank you very much. Thank you, Dioch. And James, thank you very much. Dioch, yeah, thank you. Dioch, everybody. The Low Strangers is an independent podcast. Views given do not reflect those of Swindon Town Football Club. The music is provided by the great Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork is by Matt in Singapore. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant like Darren Ward. Or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 